1 Samuel chapter 13, I'm going to read beginning at, at verse number 15, and uh, this is a passage that I studied all week, and uh, I, I tried to put a pretty sermon together, and uh, <clears throat> I got distracted and started putting a good sermon together on another passage of Scripture, and I was torn between the two. Some of you may relate to that, some of you may not, but oftentimes preachers, we want to we do good, but I... I don't want to do good today. I want to do what the Spirit says. Amen. Amen. It's not about pretty sermons. Paul said, I did not come with eloquent words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit and power. And that's what we really need. Amen. That's what will save our families. That's what will save this world. That's what will save the lost. Amen. How many of you are hungry for a move of the Spirit? Amen. I believe that God wants to stir and trouble the waters within us today. God wants to come and he wants to move in and he wants to change some things. Amen. He wants to rearrange our understanding of where we are and how we are to fight this battle that we are in. Amen. And we're going to go there in the scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 15. Amen. I sent the media a slide earlier. Don't use that. That's, we'll use that another time. Amen. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to read in verse 15. It says, And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. And they went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Somebody say, that's not many. 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people who were present with him stayed in Gibeah of Benjamin but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And listen to this. Verse 17 says, These Philistine raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. <clears throat> One company tore, uh, turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shuel. Another company turned toward Beth Horon. And another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. So they went in three different directions all throughout Israel. And they are raiders. What do raiders do? They raid. Amen. That's what they do. That's who they are. And so the enemy sent these three companies throughout the land of Israel to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And, and watch what happens here. Verse 19 tells why the people of God were so susceptible to the attack of the enemy. It says this, Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all of the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for plowshares and for mattocks and a third of a shekel for axes and for setting the goads. So listen to verse 22. It says this, So on the day of the battle... When the battle finally arrived, when the raiders came to their house, on the day of the battle there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. Two swords for 600 men. Two people had what they needed to overcome the enemy among 600 soldiers Everybody else, they had axes that they used to cut firewood. They had plow she uh, uh, shears that they used to plow their fields that they took off of their implements to swing at the enemy. And they were outmatched, they were outmanned, and they were disarmed. And the enemy had its way among the children of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found without weapons in the day of the fight. And so today, I want to preach to you about mighty weapons. Can we just pray, Lord, God, you see the susceptible nature and state of so many people and families in this room, God. You see how we have been attacked by the enemy. Lord, you see and you know every spiritual front that is represented in the lives in this place. And Lord, I believe that you want to empower us, God. I believe that you want to enable us. And so open our hearts to your word, God. Help me to preach your thoughts and to speak your words in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. 
You can be seated. I'm going to preach to you for a few minutes about mighty weapons. Somebody say mighty weapons. Mighty weapons. It matters what you fight with, amen? It matters what you fight with. As I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, my mind went back to uh, Christmas. We spent uh, Christmas in Nebraska with my brother-in-law. And um, so we, you know, as you do when you travel with kids, you pack up all the presents and you make your way north. And so we did that. And uh, my, my sons, they didn't know it, but um, I got them and me a toy. It was said their name on the package, but it was really for me. Any dads can relate to that. <laughs> and here's what I got them. Is I, I, I got on Amazon Prime, and I searched and searched, and I found some airsoft guns. And I thought, here's a good idea. We'll take two strapping young men, and we'll give them weapons that fire hard plastic BBs at each other. And uh, that'll be great times for our family. Not my wisest moment, but like I said, it was for them plus me. And so Christmas Day, we opened the gifts, and I, had, I bought one that looked like an MP5. It was made by a real, legit gun company, um, and, and it's, it's literally a plastic version of their actual weapon. And then the other one was a knockoff. And so when Rowan and I went outside to play and to test out the airsoft guns, you know, mostly for him... Um, I gave him the good one, thinking, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm faster, I've shot a whole lot more than he has in his life. And this was a fatal error on my, parts, ladies, uh, on my part, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> because it matters what you fight with. I had the plastic toy not made by a superior company, I had the inferior weapon. But I thought that through my own skill and through my own talent, and through my own ability, and through my age and wisdom that I would outdo Rowan. And so I snuck around the house using superior strategy, only to find that he unloaded his weapon on me and shot me about five or six times and ran me back around the house before I could get a shot anywhere near him. Why? Because his weapon was just better than mine. I shot and it went over there, but he shot and it went right there. He had the better weapon. And so that day, he was the better man because it matters what you fight with. I love that some of you remember this in the movie Indiana Jones. This guy comes out with a sword, and, and he is magnificent with the sword. He, he's swinging it around. He's doing all sorts of karate moves, jumping flips, you know, really intimidating. And Indiana Jones steps back, pulls out his gun, and shoots him. Because all of that talent and all of that ability didn't matter. What matters is, what weapon are you fighting with? Because you can take a superior man and he will become an inferior man when you give him inferior weapons. Because it matters what you fight with. How many of you ever heard this saying, you, are, you brought a knife to a gunfight? We all know it to be true that you, if you want to win... You've got to have the right weapons. All throughout history, this has proven to be the case. Because history and the maps of empires have been defined by weaponry. Any society that made an advance in weaponry would so soon become the dominant empire of its age. The Romans, they dominated with the short sword. When the short sword came along, everybody else had a long sword and a long spear, but because of the short sword, the Romans gained dominance. It wasn't that they were miraculously better or well-trained or somehow that they had some spiritual advantage over their enemies. It was just that they had superior weapons. And then as time went on, other weapons came along. And, and, and another instance of this is the English longbow. England became a powerful force in the world because they developed a superior weapon. America today, we are a world power, and we won World War II, and we stand here because of the men and women who sacrificed. I think it's okay if we give them a hand. Amen. Aren't you thankful to be in America today? Because people were willing to lay down their life. We're here because they were there. But the real reason America is a power is not because we had soldiers who were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. It's because... Along the way, we got superior weapons. 
and World War II ended in a mushroom cloud on the Japanese side and because of nuclear weaponry we are the world power that we are today because we have superior weapons. Somebody say superior weapons. You know often the, the, the people of God we find ourselves in struggles with an enemy that has effective weapons. We find ourselves in a spiritual fight with an enemy that is well equipped for the task that he has undertaken. And he has used them effectively and parlayed them into dominance in our society. Paul, speaking of Satan, called him the God of this world. Satan, the God of this world who has blinded the eyes of those who are alienated from the life of God, lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was saying that Satan has attained a dominance in this world because he has some effective weapons. Deception is one of his weapons. And he has used it well because he has a kingdom that is built on lies and the more that society buys into the lies of Satan the more that this world begins to reflect his value system and submit to his authority and to his dominance and the reason that evil pervades and persists in this world is because Satan knows how to use the weapon of deception well he has used doubt and fear effectively and has caused many to shrink away from their faith and he knows how to wield the right weapons at the right time for when we are weak often he will come and sow doubt into our spirit and sow fear into our mind and we are racked with thoughts the Bible talks about raising the shield of faith because Satan is throwing fiery darts that he is throwing at our heart and at our mind if he can get us to think the wrong things and love the wrong things his weapons will work well he's used doubt and fear effectively he's parlayed our weakness to temptation into the dominance of sin and the enemy's goal is to discourage the child of God at the end of the day he wants to steal your confidence he wants to kill your hope he wants you to believe that it will never work out he wants to disarm you and leave you defenseless against the lies and the schemes of his kingdom because just like the Israel had an enemy we have an enemy and he doesn't want you to have the weapons that you need to win the fight that you're in he doesn't want you to get a hold of the sword of the spirit which is the word of God he wants to sow doubt into your mind concerning the word of God and so he deploys the weapon of deception and doubt and skepticism to remove the weapon out of the hand of God's people his goal is to disarm us you see in 1st Samuel chapter 13 Israel was without weapons they were without weapons and the Philistines sent three encampments throughout the land in order to raid their villages that means that all of their progress all of their success all of their abundance everything that they owned and everything that they had all their yearly progress was being undone by an enemy that was sweeping in at an opportune time and stealing from them the things that they had worked so hard to gain the things that rightfully belonged to them were being stolen and, and, and grifted by an enemy band of raiders that would sweep in and because they had superior weapons they had no defense against it I mean imagine you have planted your field you've harvested your crops you're gathering them into the barn when along comes a band of Philistines and every every day of sweat and tears and labor is undone in an instant because the enemy is armed and you are not and that's where we find Israel in 1st Samuel chapter 13 
is the Philistines are having their way. The enemy is having his way with the children of God. And they can't get ahead. They, they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to make it. It seems like every good blessing of God is being stolen by the enemy. There's no joy in the land. There's no hope in the land. And they're confused and afraid. Because the enemy has something that they don't have. Weapons that they don't have. And 1 Samuel 13 tells us why. It says there were no blacksmiths in the land. That the Philistines had controlled the market of iron so that there were no blacksmiths in the land. There was nobody who could take raw iron ore and refine it. Could take what was soft and, and harden it and sharpen it. There was nobody who knew how to heat it up and how to put an edge on it. There was nobody in the land who knew how to form the weapons that they needed. And so uh, the Bible says that they were susceptible because there's no blacksmith in the land. And I started asking myself, why didn't they have a blacksmith? Why didn't they have a blacksmith? Is it so hard to have one blacksmith? And, and, and as I begin to study, now listen, I've heard this preached my whole life. And somehow it, it probably was said a hundred times and I never got it. I always assumed the enemy killed all the, all the blacksmiths and, and that he took them out and, and that nobody knew how to do it because of the oppression of the Philistines. But here is the reality. The reason they did not have a blacksmith in the land is because the Philistines were among the first people to learn how to create iron from iron ore. In other words, they had proprietary technology. They knew how to do some stuff that Israel didn't know how to do. And so the advent of the Iron Age, actually many people believe, began in Philistia among the Philistines, that they invented this way to take iron ore and make it into a weapon of war. And because they had it first, they decided we're going to control this so that Israel cannot have it. And the Bible says there was no blacksmith in the land. They did not let their technology out of their borders. They didn't let a blacksmith defect to Israel. They wouldn't let them train an Israelite. In fact, Israel, in order to have anything sharp that was iron, they had to go to the Philistines in order to get it sharpened and pay them money. And so they established dominance over God's people. It's all right if you hang on with me. We'll get to the preaching in a minute. I was fascinated by this because Israel's living in the Bronze Age. They had old-fashioned, outdated stuff. And the enemy is living in the Iron Age. They've got all the new technology. They've got everything that they need. And so the scripture shows us this parity between the two camps. Is Israel is suffering because the enemy has access to something that they don't have access to. The scholars, they, they don't know for certain that the Philistines invented iron technology, but they made the most effective use of it. And they develop a process that includes leaving the iron in the fire long enough to absorb the carbon from firewood to form another more malleable form of iron and steel. And this superior metal so re revolutionized life that it gave its name to the next 600 years that we now know in history as the Iron Age. This history lesson brought to you by Christian Life. And whoever had iron could produce superior tools and weapons, leaving other societies behind in the dark ages of stone and bronze. And iron was to the biblical world what nuclear energy or computer resources are to our world. It determined who would dominate and who would be relegated to the fringe of world events. And iron revolutionized how people lived, how much land they could plow, how much stone they could shape, how much wood they could cut, and it changed warfare to the same degree that gunpowder did centuries later. And I want you to notice something, that in Israel, the enemy didn't mind if they had food to eat because they would sharpen their plowshares. They didn't mind if they had wood for the fire because they would sharpen their axes. But what they wouldn't allow them to have is weapons that would let them buck off the authority of the enemy in their life. 
And I've come to tell you today that Satan doesn't mind if you go to church and get just enough food to live on. He doesn't mind if the the, uh, field gets plowed every once in a while. He doesn't mind that you're warm and that you're comfortable. What Satan is really interested in is that you never get armed for battle. That you never get what you need to win the fight. He don't mind if you have a harvest, a little harvest here or there. And he doesn't mind if you have warmth and safety and comfort. But the last thing that he wants is a church that knows how to fight and a church that has weapons that they can win with. And so Satan has set about suppressing the church from having the weapons that it needs to win. Does anybody believe that today? He doesn't want you to win. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And, And furthermore... Think about this, the Philistines knew that if they gave them plows, that they could come along and they could steal what the Israelites had plowed. And if they gave them axes, they could come along and take what their axe had cut. And so the the enemy didn't mind so long as Israel was not victorious and did not have what it needed. And so they were masters at this technology. They develop and protect it so others cannot use it. And since the Philistines lived on coastal plains, they could influence the world and who got access to it. And as a result, the Philistine culture with its pagan values began to dominate Israel during the early Iron Age. And many of the nations around were subject to them because they had weapons that worked. And the Bible says not A blacksmith could be found in the land. Otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. And the Philistines had this policy of disarmament, working hard to keep Israel discouraged and disarmed. And so we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And the Bible says that Saul and his troops, they see the superiority of the enemy and the lack on their side of things. And you know what they do is the Bible says they get discouraged because they are disarmed. And they begin to hide in the rocks and in the caves. And they, they begin to shrink back from the battle. They, they gathered together as an army, but they really weren't ready to fight because they didn't have what they needed to fight. And so... What Israel really needed was a blacksmith. That's what they really needed. They needed a blacksmith. Someone who could take something raw and refine it into something else. To take something soft and harden it and sharpen it until it was a mighty weapon in the hand of the warrior. As I began to study, I saw where the blacksmith would take something and he would put it into the fire to soften it up. And through expertise, he would wield the hammer and he would begin to shape and forge something out of the iron. And he would begin to bring something effective out of something that was ineffective. He would begin to bring something that was usable out of something that was not usable. He would take what was raw and he would refine it. And as I was reading and studying this, the Holy Ghost spoke to me because I I, I saw a lot of stuff and a lot of opinions about what a blacksmith really is. But the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, I am the blacksmith. Because I am the one who takes what is raw and refines it. I'm the one who takes something that has potential and gives it purpose. I am the one who can take what is nothing and make it into something. I'm the one who can put you in the fire and bring you out hardened and full and ready for the fight. I'm the one who can take nobody and make them somebody. What Israel needed was a blacksmith. Israel needed the work of the Holy Ghost because the enemy was winning and they needed the power of the Spirit. And Israel's problem wasn't what they did not have. Iron ore was plenteous in the land of Israel as would be proven through generations to come. Iron ore was everywhere. The raw potential was everywhere. The problem wasn't what they didn't have. They had iron And they had fire. The problem was who they didn't have. 
Because they didn't have a blacksmith. It wasn't about resources or raw material. Their problem was a presence problem. There was no one in the land who knew how to take potential and turn it into power. There was no one in the land who could take iron ore and make it into a weapon. There was nobody who could do the work of the blacksmith. And the enemy was winning and Israel was losing because there was a missing presence in Israel. There was no blacksmith in the land. As long as there's no blacksmith in the land, Israel's open to attack at any moment. Hear me. As long as no blacksmith is in the land, the raiding bands would just keep coming. Progress would never go, get past a certain point. They were destined to live at the level that their enemy set and, and was satisfied with. As long as there was no blacksmith in the land, they were subject to every spiritual attack and had no defense against it because there was no blacksmith. And the Philistines would often raid villages. With little resistance when all was said and done. And they were without mighty weapons because they were missing the presence of the blacksmith. And as I'm studying, God promise you, God whispered to me, I, my spirit is the blacksmith. Because I'm the one who does the work. I'm the one who takes what nobody sees potential in and turns it into some possibility. I am the work of the blacksmith. Listen, Isaiah 54, God says, I have created the blacksmith who fans coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. He said, and I have created the armies that destroy. What God is telling Israel is this thing that the enemy has used did not originate with the enemy. It originated as a God idea. It came from a different realm. I created the blacksmith. I'm the one who revealed the process that the enemy has used in order to gain the upper hand. God says, I created it. Listen to this. He said, I created the blacksmith and the one who blows the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. And I have created the armies that destroy it. God is telling Israel, it came from me. It all originated with me. And the reason the enemy has the upper hand is they have taken what God invented and what God created and they have misused it on the people of God. I created it. But listen to what he says next. But he says, in that coming day, no weapon formed against you. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. And these benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. What does God say? He says the enemy has found a way to use something that I created against you. But no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. That what the enemy has tried to do will not work. And that there will come a day where you'll gain the upper hand. My. Here's what we need to realize today. Satan's kingdom is powerful because it operates on spiritual power. I'm going to say that again. Satan's kingdom is powerful because it operates on spiritual power. I read it to you earlier where Paul called Satan the God of this world because Satan's kingdom recognizes something that many Christians do not that it has access to a realm that God created a spiritual realm of the angelic that God created God formed it, God fashioned it and they have taken and used it against the people of God there are spiritual entities and powers set up against the kingdom of God and they have access to a realm that many Christians deny in their daily living Satan's kingdom operates on spiritual power. Listen to Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities, listen to this, of the unseen world. We're fighting not against flesh and blood, but the King James says we're fighting against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness that has set itself up in high places ladies and gentlemen the reason the enemy often wins against you is because the enemy is not afraid to get spiritual the enemy's not afraid to operate in the realm of the spirit and so Satan has wielded a weapon that the church has not yet picked up. Oftentimes, Satan wields a weapon that Christians themselves will not pick up. I don't want to be too spiritual. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? I don't mean to get spiritual. But maybe we should pray about that. Listen, you should never apologize for getting spiritual. We should never apologize for coming to church and saying we're not here just to have church. Just to sit back and listen to songs be sung and a speech be given and go home. Because that's not what this thing is about. What this thing is about is we are trying to tap in to a spiritual realm. And you can't get there by sitting back and folding your hands. We are tapping into something that is greater than us. A power that is beyond us. And God is calling the church to spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Why? Because our enemy operates in the spirit and he also does everything he can to suppress you from doing the same. He doesn't mind using the, the spirit. He doesn't mind using spiritual entities and processes to establish his kingdom. He doesn't mind raising up voices in the generation so long as God's church doesn't do the same. He doesn't mind if things get a little weird and hinky and spiritual so long as it's not a Christian that is operating and moving in the gifts of the spirit. He doesn't mind as long as we are trying to fight with inferior weapons. And he has a systematic strategy to oppress us from being the spiritual church that we were called to be. Does anybody believe that? Amen. I'm going to ask again, does anybody believe that? Listen, when we come to the house of God and we do not enter in and we just go through the motions we're hanging on to the Bronze Age while the enemy is in the Iron Age. When we refuse to take up the weapons that really work, because listen, when we have a Holy Ghost church, things are different in here. When we're having Holy Ghost Church things change in here, all of a sudden chains begin to break off of addiction and deliverance begins to come when the church gets in the Holy Ghost. When the church gets the blacksmith in the room, all of a sudden the, the level, the level, the playing field is leveled, and all of a sudden we have a way to fight because we can't fight this thing by flesh. Paul said. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness. And honey, maybe the reason you're so frustrated is you've been trying to fight a spiritual battle with the weapons of the flesh. Your family's under spiritual attack and you're just trying to do better. You're trying to be more disciplined. You're trying to act better. You're trying to say better words. And look, all those things are good, but what we really need is a weapon that'll work. Let me tell you something. We minimize it, but worship is a weapon. It's easy to dismiss preaching like this and say, oh, you're just saying if I'll just worship, everything will change. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because it's not about what I have. It's about who I have. And when the blacksmith comes in, suddenly things begin to change. Stuff begins to form. Weapons begin to work. Why? Because my problem is not a, a what I have problem. My problem is a who problem. And listen, Paul said it this way. He said, if God is for me, then who can be against me? What I really need is I need the presence of a living God to come into my circumstance, to come into my family, to come into my situation. I've got a presence problem. And sometimes we're frustrated as Christians because we're fighting a spiritual battle. And we're wrestling on the wrong level. We're dabbling with the methods of the flesh when God has called us to fight 
in the spirit. And when we are attacked, we're fighting in what originated in a spiritual realm. And so we're wrestling on the wrong level. Satan wants you to stay carnal. He wants you to stay uh, non-spiritual. He wants you to stay powerless. He doesn't mind if you have a form of godliness. The Bible says the day will come where they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. That's what spiritless church is. It's a form of godliness going through the schedule and the routine, but never experiencing the power. Look, I've come to preach to somebody that spiritual weapons are mighty and they have the ability to change your situation and I, I just I, I feel like the Holy Ghost sent me here to tell somebody who's been struggling that your fight is a spiritual fight that you are in a spiritual battle that this is not from the flesh this is not coincidence but this is a strategic attack of the enemy to drive you out of the promises and the plans that God has for you is, is it alright if I just prophesy in this place today I feel the Holy Ghost saying that it's time for the church to take up its weapons of warfare to take up praying in the spirit again we need to learn to pray in the spirit again we need to get uh, an understanding and revelation of the word of God again because though we walk in the flesh Paul said we do not war according to the flesh Though we live daily through this life, we are interacting with a spiritual realm. And we, are, we do not war according to the flesh. For, listen, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. You're not going to figure out your way through this. You're not going to strategize this. There was no strategy the Israelites could come up with as long as the enemy was fighting on a level they weren't fighting on. There's no strategy. There's no trick. There's no magical plan that's going to work out for you. Let me tell you something. Your problem is a presence problem. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not carnal. They are not carnal. But listen, they are mighty through God. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity uh, into, into the obedience of Christ every thought that rises against it. And we have spiritual weapons. Paul says we don't fight like the world fights. And though we live in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh, but we are in a spiritual battle. And so we've got to take up spiritual weapons. anybody believe it this morning we're in a spiritual fight and we've got spiritual weapons and I've come to preach to you that they are mighty weapons because when you don't even know what to pray the scripture says that when you pray in the spirit the spirit maketh intercession for us so that when we do not know what to pray, the Spirit is praying through us. And we are praying prayers that we don't even know how to pray in our intellect. That's why we've got to learn to pray in the Spirit. There's a lot of churches that they want to tone it down. I believe that's a strategy of the enemy. Now, don't speak in tongues too much. You'll scare all those Baptists coming to visit us. Don't, don't, don't do that. Out. I remember being in church as a kid. Is that all right if I'm honest? I bring, every time I bring a friend to church, we'd have Holy Ghost crazy church. I thought, oh Lord, I, I remember saying, oh God, just, can we have call on Pentecost tonight? God, can we just, can I just bring one friend and not have somebody shout and fall on top of them? <laughs> just one guy. They think I'm crazy. I brought a friend to church and everybody raised their hands and he, he looked at me like we were in a cult. Like, how did they all know to do that and why they do that at the same time? I remember thinking that, Lord, don't let us have too much of Holy Ghost Church. But you know what? That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to tone down the operation of the Spirit because he'll fight with it while we're not. 
He'll use it while we're not. And I've come to preach to the church that I believe that God wants a revival of the gifts of the Spirit in this church. God bless Brother Todd Oglethorpe. He's passed from this life. He was used and operated in the gifts of the Spirit. But somebody's got to take his place to stand up and be used in the gifts of tongues and interpretation. Somebody's got to stand up and take the place of those used in the gift of faith and the gift of healing. Somebody's got to stand up and be willing to fight the fight that makes the difference. Because the weapons of our warfare they are not carnal but they're mighty you see when the spirit starts moving and when the church starts worshiping and when the presence of God settles in the room stuff just starts happening all of a sudden people are beginning to set free people are healed in the presence of God and so I've come to preach to you that the gifts of the spirit are a weapon that we need to pick up praying in the spirit is a weapon that we need to pick up mama you gotta pray in the spirit don't you just complain to a friend you get on your knees and you pray in the Holy Ghost till God changes your circumstance we've got to take up the weapons of our warfare I'm coming quickly to a close if the musicians will gather. We've got to take up the weapons that are before us. Paul, he said, we've got to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've got to get in the Word, and we've got to let the Word get in us. Listen, Christian, you can't make it without your sword. As long as you don't have your sword, the enemy's going to keep sweeping in. And you're just like Israel and, Phil and the uh, Philistines. Is Every time that you start making progress, if there's no Word in your life, then there is no weapon in your life. You've got to have some truth to stand on when the storm comes. You've got to have some truth hid down deep and it doesn't happen on Sundays and Wednesdays. It happens when the children of God take up the weapons day in and day out and say it doesn't matter what day the enemy shows up to my house. I've got a weapon that I can use. Listen, when Jesus faced Satan, what did he face him with? He faced him with the word of God. And when he comes for your family, you can do the same too. When he comes and says that divorce is on the horizon, you can stand and speak to the enemy. When he comes and says your children are going to be lost, you can begin to quote scriptures about the heritage of the Lord. You've got a weapon. You've got something to fight with. Oh God. I pray that somebody would wake up. I pray that somebody would see that it's not just being good and doing good that's going to get us through. We need the Holy Ghost power. Listen, listen. When Jesus sent his apostles into the world, last thing he did is he told them, you go and wait in Jerusalem until you get the weapon that you need, until you are endued with power from on high. And the last thing that Jesus did was arm his church, arm his disciples with what it takes to win. Because he said that I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And when the Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you know why we need the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this church? It's because we're never going to make it without it. We're never going to win the fight without it. If God wouldn't even send his own 12 disciples without the Holy Ghost into the world, why would you want to walk into it without it? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm going to close with a passage of Scripture that I love. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And many times we've talked about the story of Jehoshaphat and we've preached it. As I began to look at it in light of this message, God began to speak to me because the Bible says that Jehoshaphat found himself surrounded, him and his army surrounded by three enemies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, had surrounded them. And the scripture says they were outnumbered and outmatched. And this was a different situation because Edomites, all of these people were, were descendants of Esau who were included in the promises of God. And when Israel took the promised land, God would not let them drive out the Edomites. And so Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do because he was surrounded by three enemies. Listen, we're surrounded by three enemies too. The Bible says 
We have three enemies. We have the world that is fighting against us. We have Satan that is fighting against us. And we have our flesh that is fighting against us. Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. He said, so he prayed. What a novel thought that when we don't know what to do, we pray. Jehoshaphat, it's a beautiful prayer. I'm not going to read it all because I'm trying to finish this sermon. But Jehoshaphat prayed and he said, God, you didn't let us drive them out. And so this problem, Lord, it's not our problem. God, it's something only that you can solve. God, we, we don't even know how to fight. We don't know how to do it. And so Jehoshaphat gets down and he prays to God. God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how we're going to get through this, God. It looks like the enemy is just going to reign and rule over us. And all of our progress and all of our promises will be lost. And the Bible says that after Jehoshaphat prayed and Israel had gathered together, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a man named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel stood up and he prophesied. Do you see the problem? They had a real world problem. Real enemies waiting across real battle lines. But what they had was a move of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God moved on Jehaziel, he told Jehaziel to tell the people, tell the people that the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to the Lord. And if you will just stand up, and worship the Lord if you'll just stand up and give praise to God if you'll just stand up and make room for the Spirit to come in Jehaziel said the battle is not yours it's God's and if you'll just stand in your spot and see the salvation of God then you're going to win stand with me all over this room he said, you will not need to fight this battle. You won't need to fight. He says, your weapons will not be swords and spears. But he said, here's what your weapon is going to be. If you're surrounded by enemies, your weapon is to believe on the Lord and to worship God anyhow. Even though you see him standing across the valley, praise God anyhow. Even though you see them coming on down the line, just praise God and worship God anyhow. Because worship is the way that we win our fight. We don't fight with swords. We don't fight with spears. It's not in our shields. Paul said we take up the armor of God. We put on the helmet of salvation. We wear the breastplate of righteousness. We raise up the shield of faith. And here's where the Spirit is leading. He says, you just stand in the valley. And they brought out the band. Come on out, band. They brought out the band. Come on. This is what Jehoshaphat did. He said, we're not going to get our swords. We're not going to try to fight in the flesh what started in the spirit. What we're going to do is we're going to get on the same level as the enemy. And we're going to tap into something. And the Lord... The Bible said in Psalm 18, he said, by my God, I can run over and leap over a wall and run through the enemy. By my God, I'm able to do it. If God is with me in this fight, then I can make it. I can worship my way through. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on. This is what Jehoshaphat did. He brought the band out. He got everybody to stand in the valley. And the Bible says that as... They were coming down. The people began to worship. As the enemy was rushing in, in the middle of this tide of people flowing into this valley, Israel lifted up their hands and they began to worship God. And the Spirit of God fell in Israel. And the Bible said before the enemy could ever get there, the Spirit of the Lord set an ambush against the enemy because something was happening in the Spirit. And you can fight in the Spirit what's happening in your world. And I've come to tell somebody today that even though you're surrounded, even though you don't know what to do, if you'll come and you'll stand in the storm, believe in God anyways, and worship God, God will come through. How many of you receive it by faith? Come on, I wonder if somebody would take up the sword of the Spirit. 
I wonder if somebody would begin to tap in to the spirit because we've been living in the flesh too long you got to stop trying to solve it and start trying to get the blacksmith to come on in come on in blacksmith come on in we don't know how to change it we don't know how to refine it we don't know how to shape it we don't know how to redeem it but God you do you know how you, you know what it takes you're able come on would somebody step out and I just want us to take a moment and do what Jehoshaphat did we're going to fight in the spirit come on somebody you ought to start praying in the spirit you ought to start ministering in the spirit God we don't need the flesh God we need a move of your spirit God we cannot make it without you God we can't go without you Come on, somebody. This is how I fight my battles. On a Memorial Day weekend. I wonder if somebody would say, you know what? I'm trying it different. I'm going to try the Holy Ghost way. I'm going to try to fight this battle on a different front. I'm going to try to step in to a spiritual realm with my worship. I'm going to bring heaven down to earth. I'm going to sing and praise. Because as we sing and praise victory, Starts coming down as we begin to worship. Victory comes down. Send the enemy's camp into confusion. 